Time for Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. If it moves people underground or on the ground or even in the air, it's a sure thing that it'll be talked about right here. And now, here's the electric pair with energy storage issues, Ken and Sasha. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. Ken Chester and Sasha J. Little are your hosts for the hour, and we are glad to have you on board. Well, we're continuing our theme for this week. If you listen to the first hour, you kind of know that we're revisiting the TV shows and movies that were inspiring the current and next generation of engineers and designers with respect to mobility. That's right. And this hour, we are taking a look at present and seeing how it may or may not have impacted on what we have set to accomplish in the future. Will what children and grandchildren are watching today inspire them to develop more creative approaches to mobility for tomorrow, or will it simply light the way? We explore that. We will start the conversation in a few minutes, but first, if you want to join in, text or call the Roadworthy Driveline at 872-222-9793. That number is good 24-7-365. If you would rather reach out via email, uh, you can reach me at Ken, verse, at, hmm, <laughs> Ken cannot talk, uh-huh. Ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way connects you to the show. Speaking of intense... Please say hi to my always opinionated but rarely caffeinated co-host, that vivacious laugh with the outsized personality, (laughs) Miss Sasha J. Little. Hey, girl. Hey, you. And uh, what exactly for today for this week? uh, Last hour was kind of interesting in the way that we (laughs) kind of just went off script completely. Wait a minute, there was a script? There was not, actually. Oh, okay. Um, and, and this hour, we also do not have a sit script, oh per my. se. Don't tell the suits. I, um, don't tell the suits. I mean, should we be thankful that they don't like listen to the show? Well, sometimes they do, though. Right? Let's hope that this is not well, one of those times. On that same note. Okay, of listening to the show? Uh, of the suits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Filling the friendly skies with hot air. Oh, hot air balloon season is coming up. Uh, Well, it's a little bit more than that. Oh, We're talking about massive helium-filled airships. In this case, (laughs) yes, in this case. They're bringing those back? Yes, designed by Flying Whales, a French manufacturer. They're going to actually start taking these guys in 2021, and they're going (sighs) to build them in China. Okay. Now, each of these are big. They should start production in 2022. Uh Uh-huh. They're twice as long as a Boeing 747. Am I going to have more leg space? Well, you're assuming that they're passenger. They're not? Not necessarily. Are they just going to, oh. No. Well, the slow-moving giants won't challenge modern aircraft for passengers. But thanks to advancements in technologies, including, believe it or not, what a surprise, hydro, uh, hybrid electric power. Right. Their points offer a cheap, potentially low-carbon means of delivering cargo to and from regions of the world that don't have basic infrastructure like roads and airstrips. Basic. There's basic. an S yes. and an F. It's okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what they're saying for this, and you have to understand something, I am all about mobility, but sometimes I like leisure travel. So like for me, the train 
was like a nice romantic leisure way of getting mm-hmm. from point A to point B. Uh, the blimp would have been, or what did they uh, like? Ever the, um, since the Hindenburg disaster, you ain't gonna see that. And no. honestly, but I uh, mean, it was one of those things where maybe I don't necessarily want to be go from coast to coast in like two or three hours. But here's the problem. It doesn't make economic sense for the money they're spending to develop these right. for passenger travel. Okay. Uh, and to be honest with you, the whole this whole evolution goes back roughly seven years yeah. and a French forestry problem. Oh. Uh, they had a lot of trees to log, but they were in places that you could not access except to either build expensive new roads or airstrips to convey the wood to sawmills. Oh. And they were looking for alternatives. They wondered, could an airship that doesn't need to land expand the country's timber harvesting area? The company Flying Whales designed something called the LCA-60T. And that's a rigid frame, helium-floated airship, get this, designed to carry 60 tons of cargo. That's crazy. 60 tons. So, okay, to load it, help me imagine this. So I'm imagining that it comes down. It doesn't have to land. No. So it just comes gradually down probably into like an open. Probably doesn't come down. They probably just lower whatever height they're they're hovering at. Yeah. They'll lower hooks or other straps or fasteners. Uh-huh. And then that'll just And then like a pulley system yeah. just kind of lever it yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then they'd have to take the stuff out to, like, even, it would still have to be a like river. an open area or something well, yeah, like that. A river or a sawmill that had an open area to land, to, to bring the stuff down. Okay. Not that hard. No. Um, because China had made no secret of its desire to be an aerospace power, and because one of their companies had been very aggressive about uh, acquiring new technologies, uh-huh. uh, they believed that the craft in China will also address a couple of practical issues they have. Um, the new the new airships will not be confined to just convenient carrying logs. Okay. Uh, would you believe that Lockheed Martin also will be building airships? Who? Lockheed Martin, a U.S. firm. Oh. Uh, $500 million order for a wow. dozen of its hybrid electric airships, also operational in, a, in the next two years. Okay. Uh, from a buyer who plans to lease them for 20 tons of freight capacity to Arctic oil and gas companies. Think about this, winter time, or even during the off winter, to get stuff to far off Arctic places where you cannot get there when everything thaws. In other well, words, you're going to put the ice road truckers out of business. <laughs> really, because that's what they did. They went to villages and places that were right. not normally accessible yeah. during the regular season because of permafrost. And the stuff was muddy and impassable. When it froze over, it provided a hard enough service to deliver. Now imagine if you've got airships whereby you can deliver materials all year long to wherever. You don't need an airstrip. You don't need a road. Okay. Now, my only thing is I was actually thinking of, you know, uh, countries and dropping off for like emergency supplies and natural disasters africa uh, africa asia. asia and china's primary mm-hmm. targets okay i read it no i, I mean got yeah it. i got you it. can drop I got it. generators batteries solar panels even prefab buildings oh imagine that so oh. in your disaster area where the roads are all tore up or something yeah yeah you could literally bring stuff in where you may not have roads you may not have airstrips or anything like that yeah because it all got tore up tore up yeah Okay. So, I mean, when you think about the potential, 
It makes sense. They don't have to be fast. All right. No, they really no don't. No reason for these to be fast. No. All they need to be is accessible in a way to get you to places that you could not get to otherwise. Right. It's just interesting that what's old is new again. Kind of goes with our theme from last hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question is, will the United States take a leading role or is it going to be France and China for the most part with something like this? I mean, I've got a $20 bet that says it's going to be France and China. Mm. I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, the United States just seems to, they just want to play catch up. I mean. Well, but then again, Lockheed Martin is an American company. That's true. So we'll see if Lockheed Martin is first to market because they look like. Are they actually producing them here or are they producing well, them they didn't in China? Well, they that. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, $500 million. Yeah, well, for, is it for 11 of them? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, can I just I can I just get a Tesla out of that order? I mean, <laughs> you and your Tesla, I think you just need to appeal to Elon Musk. I, I maybe would. listen to the program. Uh, maybe. I mean, I mean we're expanding. we talk about him enough. Yeah, you never and, know. And we're hitting up California here pretty yes, soon. Yes, we are. Yes, we Come, are. Coming to the sunny so, side you know, state. Elon, if you're listening, uh, the co-host, she would really like a Model S. And I would be the perfect representation of that because I live in rural Iowa, or rural America. Yep. So I would be the test subject where can extended I... extended range. Yes. All-wheel drive. Right. Dual motor. It, right? There you are. I mean, I'm just saying... $130,000. And I'm a millennial. Millennial. Yes, with children. Yes. And, you know, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. It'd be one heck of a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just saying. Um, while we're on a California tip real quick, yes, uh, this might be a blueprint for cities. All right. Um, San Francisco, we talk about San Francisco a lot. We do. Uh, electric scooters, delivery robots, Uber and Lyft, uh, even Chariot, your friends at Ford, yes. Yes. Uh, started operating in San Francisco without a permit. Oh. San Francisco, now ground zero for all these technologies, is looking to keep better tabs on various startups keen on testing or operating the new products in the city. Okay. They got together. And this working group that they got together uh, is creating something they call a front door through which all these startups looking to operate public spaces should be shepherded. It's the first stop for emerging technology companies and the city will work to adapt policy making to the prototyping process and manage a permitting process certain and predictable while advocate while advocating for the community's needs. Huh. They want it to be a first of a five-step process. In other words, a way to do this that's not willy-nilly. Awesome. So we'll see how that goes. Coming up, the impact of today's TV shows. Back after this. Roadworthy Drive is America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. Let's go! Jump in, it's time to go fast. Turn up the radio blast. I got my foot on the gas. We just wanna go. My life is feeling unreal. Both hands are taking the wheel. Rev up the engine and feel like we're ready to roll. Hello, hello, everyone. If you're just turning in, we you are actually listening to Roadworthy Drive. Indeed. I am Sasha J. Little in studio th- for the hour with Ken Chester. Howdy. And we are so glad you could join us. Now, this hour, we are exploring the impact of some 
of the vehicle or mobility related TV shows and movies that may be leaving an impression on our kids or in Ken's case, grandchildren. Oh, why? Are you going to bust me out like that? I don't have grandchildren. I, I'm no. 38. I don't know. Don't. Okay. Yeah, no. All right. I'm, I'm going to leave you right there. Okay, good. Uh, in case, if you did not recognize the opening <laughs> tune. Which I did not. It means that you probably don't have kids or you probably don't listen, don't watch the Disney Channel. We do not. Uh, that was the theme song from Fast Lane. Lane spelled L-A-Y-N-E. And it's a miniseries of eight episodes where a 13-year-old girl is the protagonist. Her parents um, invent uh-huh. an autonomous car. Oh, way. They're scientists that invent an autonomous car that is only activated by interacting with their DNA. Somehow Lane finds the car uh-huh. and activates it because, of course, the car recognizes the DNA. And since she and is she is how old again? 13. 13. Yeah. So this was supposed to be a Herbie the Love Bug uh, reboot. Okay. But it didn't evolve that way. So here's a car in today's world where the car is not only autonomous, but develops a personality and hanging out with Lane, learns to do things that the parents never developed or engineered in the car. Like Baymax, almost? Um, Not familiar with that, but... Yeah, Big Hero 6, really? Oh, that, yes. Beta, oh, yes. Even more so. Not Beta, Bay. Yeah, I'm Baymax. with you now. Okay. When you said Big Hero 6, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But... This develops a personality. Okay. Actually believes that he's part of the family. So Aww. like brother, sister thing. Um, and the car is able to change into things like a uh, monster truck. Like it went off, it took off of a, of a hill. And we talked about this with Judge Dredd, only airbags. Right. Airbags popped out as it rolled. So there was no damage. Oh. Exterior airbags. And then when it Exterior stopped. Exterior airbags. Yes. And then it okay. stopped, went in. So kids are getting exposed to. This vehicle now, the issue of a 13-year-old being able to drive anything right. kind of concerned me. Kind of, uh, yeah. The car was autonomous, but then had the ability to be controlled by Lane directly. I think she she pressed a button, and the steering wheel came up, and the pedals came out. She could drive it. Oh, okay. So the car was both autonomous and manual. But it would still communicate with her. Oh, talk to her. Like, was she literally able to, talk to her? Like, was she able to like remote, like stay in contact with it while she was at school? Or uh, it would call her actually on the cell phone. It was crazy. <laughs> but so fun. that that whole series, watching with my grandkids while my kids were out of town, uh -huh. really created the thought about if my kids, if my grandkids are seeing this, is it really shaping? Their approach to mobility, what mobility can and cannot do. Here's a kid about their age because my youngest is nine. My oldest is 13. Okay. So she is smart and witty and a lot like them. So I wondered, and that's how we got here. But I guess the issue is with the rise of more and more technology that is literally at the fingertips of kids today, the question is, do you think the TV shows and movies are having the same impact as they did when we were kids? That's the big question. Well, I mean, I I think personally when you're when you put it in that perspective, especially as a 13-year-old child, uh mom and dad have to drive to and from work. Um if you take in and not to, you know, give you a plot of a lot of different movies and such, but let's say a child that maybe their parents died or were seriously injured in a vehicle accident, um, I think that that does set a precedence and implements in their mind about how things could be. Mm. Um, 
as far as having a vehicle that became, like you said, part of the family and took care of everyone and was just kind of, you know. Yeah, because it ended up coming to, they tried to take the car. Oh. Oh, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, car's name. Uh-huh. And I don't know if this was like a little sleight of hand like Disney likes to do. Okay. Vin. Stop it. Vin. That was cute. Vin. Vehicle, independent, In what? Identification number. Uh, but no, also, no, no, no. I know that, what uh, VIN actually is, but what did it stand for? You had, to a, you had to ask me that. Right. And it does stand for something, and I did not write That's it down. That's what I was thinking, like vehicle. But what I was getting was, could be very uh, a nod to uh, the Fast and Furious movies. Star of the movies, VIN Diesel. Nothing? Absolutely nothing. I, I refuse nothing. to acknowledge those movies. Okay, whatever. Yeah. But yet, uh-huh. those are other movies. Yeah. And Interesting, fun fact. Uh-huh. Actually saw them filming the first one down in Florida. The first one what? The first Fast and Furious movie. I'm sorry. Uh, All I, of a sudden you just started speaking Swahili. Uh, I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> you got to like the Italian job, though. I have actually never seen it. Oh, my goodness. When you actually brought this oh, up, my goodness. I'm sorry. I mean, I would love... All right. Gone in 60 seconds? Eleanor. Really? No, stop. Okay, but you have to understand something. For me, okay? For me personally. Cars, though. I... Car show. Okay. Mobility show. Stop. Come on. Stop. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand watching pieces of automotive history be destroyed in a movie. Okay. So when they're talking about them actually getting like these rare, I think it was, what was it? The Shelby 1960. Yeah. He, he nicknamed Eleanor. Eleanor, right. Yeah. And the first one that he had got ripped up during the car chase. Yeah. I and can't. Then he scra- and then they scrapped it. Right, I can't. Okay. I can't. Then you would have never saw the movie that got me started. What? 1971 ABC Movie of the Week uh-huh. starring Dennis Weaver. I will never forget it. I could have been all of 12. Okay. What do you got? Duel. No. Duel was the the car that Dennis Weaver was driving coast to coast was actually a 1970 Plymouth Valiant four-door sedan being antagonized in probably the first actual case of extended road rage by a tanker truck that chased him across the west okay uh this to me even as a young kid i thought it was the greatest commercial for plymouth ever if the car would go through all that it certainly protect me wow and the ironic part is at the end dennis weaver sacrifices the car to save his life oh yeah and the plymouth i mean it went through the whole thing a Plymouth overheated, still would run, climbing a hill, barely running, getting away from the trucker. And the trucker was just so filled with road rage that, you know, when Dennis sends the car in the, in the trucker's direction and bails out of it, trucker reaches for another gear, takes the car and the truck over the side of a mountain. I can't. And he just sits in the side of the mountain watching the whole thing. I, I just, I can't. Sorry. <sighs> I got nothing. Best I got nothing. Best Plymouth commercial ever. Yeah. How long was this commercial? Ran for a couple hours. <laughs> when we come back, folks, uh, going to the movies, what happened to good old-fashioned stunt drivers anyway? That's next. Stay tuned. Really? Night Rider? <laughs> Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless, in the world of criminals who operate above the law. 
real opinions, real talk. You were tuned in to Roadworthy Drive. and that was the Jetsons. If you're just tuning in, you are tuned to Roadworthy Drive, where Ken and Sasha coming at you, and we're having a little fun this week. All the talk about <laughs> mobility that we've talked about down through the years. Yep. We've talked about being autonomous. We've talked about the future. But have you noticed anyone who ever talks about the future when it comes to going forward in anything always somehow gets around to invoking the song, the image, or the promise of the Jetsons. Yeah. An autonomous flying car that folds up in a briefcase that George can walk into the office, set on his desk. Hanna-Barbera forever. Mm-hmm. Forever and ever and ever. If you've never watched the Jetsons when How? it first came out. What rock? Ah. <laughs> wow. If you'd never seen the Jetsons, bear this in mind. How? The Jetsons came out not on Saturday morning. No. But prime time during the week, yep. at night. Imagine it was, that. It was literally meant to be for the entire family. Indeed. So the kids were enthralled by, oh my gosh, look at this. The parents were enthralled because, oh, wouldn't that be something? Because the 1960s also gave us, um, let's see, there was this huge saying with the, like the World's Fair and the autonomous kitchen. Yeah, the autonomous kitchen and mm-hmm. the robots, the robotic the kitchen helpers. of the future. Right. I mean, anybody remember Glass Bottom Boat with Doris Day? Oh, my. Um, so, but yeah. The, the interesting thing, though, is that Hanna-Barbera, who was the uh, creators of the series, right. gave us both the Stone Age with the Flintstones yes, and did. mobility, uh-huh. Fred moving with his feet, yeah. and the Space Age with the Jetsons flying. I mean, two opposites. Who would have thunk this, yeah. let alone have it be successful? And ironically enough, like I've always said, Anytime you imagine anything you read, anything you hear about the future, yeah. usually will invoke either uh, su- some excerpt of yeah. the Jetsons They'll theme song, that or they will talk about, yes, yeah. or they will talk about uh, the promise. Where's my flying car? Yeah. Where's well, my autonomous flying car uh, that the George Jetson promised me? I mean, can we talk about the fact that I was born in 1981, 10 years, 15 years after the last new episode aired? My children ha- watch the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to talk about something that's not only was multi-generational and ahead of its time when it came out in 1962. But still is. But still is. Mm-hmm. And, and still, like, I love the Jetsons movie. Like, forever still, and ever. Still waiting on my flying car, though. <laughs> my fly- yes, right? yes. Yeah. But since we're talking about the 1960s and influence, uh-huh. you can't get away from what I consider 
the most intense car chase ever. Oh, for the I, yes, I'm going to talk about it. Go ahead. I'm going to talk about Bullet and Steve McQueen. <laughs> oh wow! Ford Mustang, wow. and and a and a full size Chrysler. Full mm-hmm. size. Yep. Full size. Hello. Yep. Not a performance car, people. No. Full size. Uh, through the streets of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible chase. Considered the most awesome chase of all time. Yeah. Needless to say, if you don't think there was marketing in that. Right. That was in 1968. Yeah. In 2001, the Ford Motor Company brought out a bullet special edition yeah, Mustang. Yeah. And then they did it again here in the last couple of years. Yeah, because you actually took pictures of it, or it was there at the, was it New York or Chicago? Somewhere. Yeah. I forget where. I think it was New but York. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when we talk about the future, we talk about mobility, you really don't realize how many different ways just being exposed to uh, the raw power of these vehicles, the skill of the drivers, the fact that that chase scene is still recognized by so many people, yet... Ford Motor Company commercialized on it. Yeah, they did. Well, I, okay, but if you have ever have ever had, and I said this in hour one, any doubt of what commercialization and product placement can do for a vehicle, mm-hmm. I got one word for you. Come on with it. DeLorean. I, I One, DeLorean. But does anybody really want to own? I take that back. Because I mentioned last hour yep. that they resurrected in the United States yep. a DeLorean company that's making yeah. new DeLoreans. New DeLoreans. As well as having, yeah. they bought the tooling from the bankrupt company and having parts. Because the biggest problem with the DeLorean was that, is cleaning the outside because it was brushed stainless steel. It wasn't yeah. smooth. It was brushed. And it was real tough to keep clean. Yeah. Also, that car was woefully underpowered with the six-cylinder that it had. Yeah. So they've it, corrected it was those not, problems. It, it was a car that was not that great. It probably would have went forgotten um, throughout time had it not been for Back to the Future. Oh, my. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Um, let me throw out another one. What do you got? You've never seen it, but it was actually, two the original Italian job in the late 60s. Right. And the Italian job, uh, a great way to popularize the uh, the small British built Mini. Oh yeah, the Mini Cooper. Yeah, that was in a bunch of different. Was it? It was in a James Bond, and then it was in. Um, it mm. wasn't in Taken. It was in some other mm-hmm. action pack. They it's really... a fun go kart. I've actually had he the said opportunity. Go kart. Well, it is a go kart uh, with three letters that matter. Go BMW. <sighs> yeah. Which means suspension, yeah. powertrain, yeah. the thing's going to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And there, and it's not really that stretch as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, and seeing what they did in the Italian job, although we know those cars were modified for stunt. No. I know, right? Are you serious right I, now? It's a heart attack. Oh, I am. I would have never thought it I all am. on my own. But I think the bigger issue that we're trying to get to is does... All of this technology. Now, we talked about Minority Report, for example. Oh, yeah. Fully automated auto factory set in 2037. Yep. You know, what do our children and grandchildren, being exposed to this information now, Mm -hmm. uh, do they dream? Is, is, Is even mobility a thing for them any kind of way? Or is it just utilitarian? And I mean, back when I was growing up, it was freedom. It was open road. It was, you know, the world was your oyster to have a vehicle. We couldn't hardly wait to get our license. Yeah. Couldn't hardly wait to get that first car. Couldn't hardly wait to be hanging out with your friends. 
and the stories many of us have. Yeah, and now, I mean, I've got two teenagers that they have no inclination, and a lot of their classmates, they've got maybe out of their class, now granted we go to a smaller school system, but out of their class, less than 30% of them actually drive. Oh my. Yeah, I mean, and she's like a, you know, she's a sophomore, she's Mm -hmm. 16, so I mean, we might see that go up gradually with with the age but even the very brief because my daughter tried to do a um a poll and even the seniors this year out of the ones that answered it was still like 40 so the big question is it was less than half the big question is what are kids being inspired we were inspired it was simple i mean in the 60s it was the space race and everything was space oriented and that's the thing finally when we come back more of the same. Stay tuned. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. That's my Transformers. Uh-huh. Now, that's like, the cartoon show, not not the movies. That's absolutely correct. That is the cartoon, uh, 1984 or 86. Uh-huh. I believe it was an even number. Uh, that's what I rushed home to watch every single day uh-huh. um, you were after like, school. You were like, what, three? Uh, well, by the time I watched it, again, it was off the air. Uh-huh. But it was kind of one of those things where they have constantly revamped it and mm. brought it back, kind of like Voltron was another right, one. Right. Um, but uh, you know, it it was one of those things where watching it and it brings up a topic that I really want to discuss. Kind well, of. Before you do, we should reintroduce ourselves. Really? Uh, if you're just tuning in, yes. Oh my uh, This is Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, along with my vivacious hostess, Sasha. J. Little. What mm-hmm. is the J standing for today, Sasha? Uh, Jumpstart. Oh. Jumpstart. Maybe jaded. No. Ah. Not jaded. Okay. Jumpstart. Okay. Is what we're going to go with the, uh-huh. this week. Well, here's a, here's a question. I was going to ask a question. Okay. We'll ask it. Well, okay. Does today's, with our kids right now, mm-hmm. they are constantly bombarded with technology. They are. Um, if they are with a in a household that has above average income, maybe even unlimited income, they are exposed to AI buddies. They are exposed to um, not necessarily like a house from like, you know, Iron Man, mm-hmm. but something similar. But let's but let's with, be real. Uh, Alexia. But, let's, but let's be real for a minute. Even if you don't have a lot. Cell phones. Yeah. Smart uh, speakers. Smart speakers. Laptop. Smart yeah. televisions. I mean, you don't have to be in the upper stratosphere of income yeah, to I be mean, exposed to a level of technology we didn't have. Right, which made stuff like Transformers, Jetsons, and so forth, made it so incredible for us. Because here was this thing, and it would transform, and it would, you know, when you actually had the toys, and it would transform mm-hmm. into, and you know. But for kids now, do they take it for granted? 
Um, well, does guess- the everyday uh, tech diminish what our kids have to come to expect? And that's a good question. I think that the challenge we have for mobility, <coughs> like you mentioned last segment, where it, you, the kids in your oldest class are not even expiring to have a driver's license. Wow. So it's mobility, but what is mobility to them? Obviously, there's a jump between mom and dad taking them around, uh-huh. and they're getting old enough where they have to get around, and particularly being in a more rural setting, um, it's not so much that there's going to be public transportation or scooters or things available like that to them. No. So one, are they going to be the Uber generation where, you know, I'm just going to Uber everywhere and I'm going to work and Uber and home and Uber or Lyft or something in, across between uh, a Uber and Lyft situation and having a car situation? Or maybe do the kids decide to get together and share a car? Uh, you know, and it's one of those things where I've, I know a couple of the kids that have graduated here recently, mm-hmm. they do the share car. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like three or four of them. They all decide to go in. They all have their own apartment and they shared like the one vehicle. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Honestly, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. They, uh, but they also live in an area where, uh, they have public transportation available to them. Okay. It's not like they live rural. Um, But they decided to have the car for, you know, one of them works the overnight. And so they wanted, you know, her to be safe. And then the other one. So, I mean, they kind of switch off. But it is one of those things where right now my main concern is, does it give our children the imagination that we had? And what the people who are engineers right now Mm -hmm. that are in the that are in the neck of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Does it limit the next generation as far as their imagination and what they can perceive. Let me give you some food for thought. Okay. Recent movie I saw, a little bit a little bit in the weeds, but not far. Widows had uh, Viola Davis starring in it, and it was basically a movie about um, women who were the wives of men that did a big stick up. All those men got killed. Okay. Now, they had to raise the money or face the folks that that these folks were working for. They had to produce the money. It was a mess. Okay. The reason why I bring it up is that it was an empowering film on the one hand, and women had to deal, in one case, uh, they had to buy a van. They literally had to buy a van. They had to trick out, of all things, a Volvo wagon. And when they pulled off the job, they did what they had to do. One of the bad guys actually stole their van. But the funny thing of it is, he he didn't get away with it. Because they they took the Volvo, rear-ended him, and pushed him into a cement abutment, killed him. It was empowering. It was a different look at transportation. It required them to step out of their, for lack of a better word, typical roles. Yeah, I'm really not seeing the connection there. You're not. But all I'm saying is, it's a whole different way of looking at transportation. This movie was more of an empowerment movie with transportation playing a secondary role, that even though they were not familiar with what they had to do, they got it together, they overcame, and they improvised. I thought it was pretty cool. My concern is, however, what you've just brought up, what will it take to inspire today's kids to think about mobility in ways that will benefit themselves, if not society? I think that it's going to come down to what's going to make it easier for them. I think that we're creating a 
a uh, generation where do they want to own a car? They will simply make that decision. No. Okay, so what do I need to do to get from point A to point okay, B? Okay, define a car, though, because right now our industry is moving away from the four-door sedan, the two-door sedan, the convertible. Right. What I'm saying is, is that do they look at an ownership platform? Um, I think that we're looking at a generation that they're going to take all that away. Canvas? Right. I mean, they're, they're going to create a situation kind of like what, you know, what the day job is where they either telecommute, but they're going to take away the whole brick and mortar because they don't want to leave mm. and they don't want to have to pay to leave and they don't want to have to pay to go to so work. So are you telling me that uh, that the young kids are going to put us out of work because uh, we nothing to talk about? I'm, I mean, surrogates. We could talk about the latest model for, you know, your surrogate. Uh, but we are a mobility show, though. Sasha. It's still mobility. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Surrogates? Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was mine. Was that it? Was, that was mine. Oh, that was my. mine. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're going to solve this anytime soon, but I think it bears watching and it bears questions. What do kids get exposed to today that will inspire them, particularly in a mobility and setting? And do they even know who H.G. Wells is? Probably not. And I that's mean, so they, sad. Yeah. Bray Bradbury. I, I mean, yeah. And there'll be soft rains. I oh, just, yes, exactly. I love that uh -huh. one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, folks, that ends our playful little diversion for this week. Sasha and I hope you liked it. Tune in next week when we get back to the latest in breaking mobility news and mobility tech. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. Roadworthy Drive is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Roadworthy Drive Productions Incorporated.